Well, it's lovely to be here uh, this evening, um, slightly spontaneously. Um, so, given that fact and the fact that it's a really nice uh, summer evening, I will try and, you know, watch the time. Um, you know what they say, don't you, that when um, the preacher takes his watch off, it means absolutely nothing. Uh, but no, um, I, um, I used to work um, for a church and... Um, <laughs> When I worked for this uh, church and we came across sort of different challenging um, situations, uh, maybe we didn't have enough money to um, organise an event that we wanted to do, or uh, no one came to an event that we'd planned, um, or there was some really tricky or sad situation that we were dealing with, we felt overwhelmed, it might have been something really big, or just anything that was a trouble to us. Um, our vicar had this like saying that he used to say, Um, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well and he used to say this again and again sometimes it's quite a long phrase so we used to have to wait for him to finish even though we knew exactly what he was going to be saying Um, and uh, it was like his sort of motto for for life and he used to say again you know when we were fretting about something as a staff team he'd be like all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well and I remember having like cards from him and he'd write that in and um, yeah this is Charlie Cleverly for anyone who knows him and is interested um, he, he loved this uh, loved this phrase but they actually weren't his own words you know let's give credit where it's due and uh, it's the hero of this evening or the heroine actually um, who we're looking at tonight we've been doing this series uh, Rich mentioned it earlier um, of these kind of great heroes of the faith looking um, at people uh, who've been amazing examples to us and uh, maybe in sort of years and years gone by of how to follow Christ and to be committed to him and we've had um, uh, Oscar Romero and Hudson Taylor and this evening we have uh, Julian of Norwich there she is well kind of obviously this is just a statue of her and a picture painting of her and um, so she was born as you can see uh, in 1342 that little c means kind of roundabout then because they don't really exactly know so she's pretty old this uh, well <laughs> she would be pretty old I mean <laughs> I mean, she's pretty old in terms of, you know, she was born a long time ago. And um, she's well known and really famous for that phrase that Charlie Cleverly, the, the vicar of the church I used to work in, used to say, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And because um, this phrase used to be said all the time um, by our vicar, um, and it was a, it's a great phrase, it's really um, memorable, um, Owen <laughs> spent some time flicking through the Bible trying to find it. <laughs> before this is before he went to theological college. Not that that's always you know given that you know uh, that's going to help with. <laughs> but, um, he uh, before before that he uh, was having a look through the Bible and um, he couldn't find it because it was Julian of Norwich. But actually, essentially, that phrase. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, is the message of the whole Bible, in a way, isn't it? And there's one place in particular that I want to look at this evening um, in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, um, where 
this is kind of a passage to act as like an underpinning of everything that I'm going to say about this woman, Julian of Norwich, who said that famous phrase about everything being okay. So if you've got a Bible, I did um, put it up on the screen, but I think only part of it came out, so that's a good um, uh, you know, excuse to get your Bibles out, because you won't be able to see it otherwise as I read it. Uh, so this is John chapter 16, uh, verse uh, 16. I'm going to read um, a little bit of this passage, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. So he says, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, uh, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by saying, a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on... Uh, your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And essentially, this is one of many passages where Jesus is saying again to his disciples, all will be well. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. That phrase, in a little while, you won't see me, then you will see me, pass back and forth. It's Jesus talking um, about his crucifixion, where he will be in the grave for three days. But then following that, he will be risen and they will see him again in his resurrection body. And he's saying that there will be a time where there will be sorrow and there will be grief because all of the hopes that they pinned on Christ they thought would have been smashed down as he's hung to a cross. But it isn't over because all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. This is Jesus just telling them, preparing them that it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right You know, when my children cry, that's like the first thing that I want to say to them. You know, if, uh, I don't know, Morgan is teething as he is at the moment, or Karis has run and fallen over, which she does a lot because she's very energetic, um, I go to them and the first thing I say is, it's okay, mummy's here, it's all right, 
it's going to be okay, I'm here. And you think about sort of rescue situations, I don't know, say someone's stranded at sea or there's an emergency 999 call and we've got lots of paramedics in the... Um, yeah, in the, maybe in the room? I don't know. But um, usually there are. Um, the, yeah, uh, there we go. Uh, we're in safe hands. Um, that's often, I don't know whether this is the first thing you're trained to do. You probably need to also, you know, get on with the medical stuff. But to reassure the person that it's going to be okay, that everything will be well, that all will be fine. And Julian is the all shall be well woman. She's the it's going to be all right lady. This is her message. This is her hope. This is what she writes about in this book, The Revelation of Divine Love, which is a pretty incredible piece of literature. So it's this uh, book, which is a collection of these uh, encounters that she has uh, with God. She writes them down. And um, it's quite a big deal because it's the first, uh, it was written in 1395, and um, it was the first piece of uh, English prose, so written in um, the English language, the first piece of prose, i.e. something that wasn't poetry. So, you know, we had the likes of Chaucer and Shakespeare, who were all writing poetry. And then suddenly, Julian of Norwich writes this collection of these visions and encounters and revelations she has of the love of God. And it's not only prose, which is different to the poetry that had been before with Chaucer and Shakespeare. She's a woman. And that was a really big deal. It was around the time when it was a very kind of patriarchal society and um, it was a religious text, but um, this was a time of, you know, male priests. And it was a massive, massive risk for her to put pen to paper with this experience and this encounter that she had of the love of God, which reminded her that everything was going to be okay and all was going to be well. Um, you know, within uh, a few years, when the Bible would be translated into English, people were going to be killed for even having a copy of the Bible in English rather than in Latin, which was this exclusive language that only the educated and uh, men could read and access. But here was this woman writing in English this non-poetry record of her encounter with the love of God, the reminder that everything was going to be all right. And you know what? It nearly got lost, this text. Um, It's got a fascinating sort of um, story of how it was basically uh, smuggled by these um, epic nuns who saw that it was this glorious piece of literature um, and they like smuggled it and kept hold of it and made some copies and we don't quite know all of the details apart from um, perfectly in keeping with the whole of the story of this work of literature, this um, woman called Grace uh, Warwick in 1901, this Scottish Presbyterian, again, really cussing against what would have been expected of her, gets a hold of this book and translates it for the first time into modern English, so not the sort of middle English of Chaucer that is a bit difficult to understand, but modern English or at least more modern. <laughs> We've got more modern copies available in the last, uh, you know, however many decades. Um, but it was there for people to read because of this woman, Grace, translating it. And Julian of Norwich said this, and I think this is going to come up on the screen, but for I am a woman, should I therefore live that I should not tell you the goodness of God? 
But for I am a woman, should I therefore live that I should not tell you the goodness of God? Obviously, this being a woman standing up here is personal um, and has a personal story and a journey. But I don't want to sort of bang any drums right now other than encourage us all to not let anything hinder us sharing the goodness of God. You know, Julian of Norwich was not going to be held back by the fact that she was this woman writing this slightly strange text at a time when it wouldn't have been really very welcomed by a lot of people around her. What about you? What might you say? Well, you know, but for my past, but for my uh, education, but for my ethnicity, but for some of the hang-ups that I have about this, but for this or that or this, don't let there be anything that stops you sharing the goodness of God. Declare it, share it, tell your story. Don't let your fear in work or your embarrassment or your wonder about what people might think. Don't be put off or kept back from sharing the goodness of God because you haven't done a great job of it before. Julian of Norwich is this amazing example of a woman who took a great risk to share the goodness of God. What is stopping you maybe at the moment doing that? What are the limits that you have put upon yourself? Today across the globe there are so many people who are persecuted for doing this very thing of sharing the goodness of God, of saying, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, even though it's a big, it's like a death sentence to say that for many people. It's quite difficult, I think, for us to understand that because it's very different for us here. But that is the reality for many people in the world. And we don't have anything like that going on, do we? Any of that sort of threat. But we are often so full, maybe, of excuses for not sharing the God that we know. So take a leaf out of Julian's book. Take a risk. Share the goodness of God and just crack on with speaking about him. Maybe you just need to um, start Monday tomorrow afresh in embracing uh, that uh, challenge and encouragement. And you know, Julian of Norwich, um, not only was she kind of cutting against the culture as a woman writing this prose text, and actually it's, it's really highly thought of as well, this book, in the sort of literature world. So people think it's a really good piece of literature. You know, people from outside the church, um, obviously people inside the church are going to be more sympathetic, perhaps, to its content. Um, but people outside the church think this is amazing. This is a really fantastic piece of literature. But, you know, we don't know very much about the author of this amazing work, quite different to the celebrity culture that we have today, where we're so keen that our story is very much known or celebrated or shared, that we're remembered for who we are and what we've done and how impressive we are and this celebrity. And we know very little of Julian's life. Sort of all we have of her is this book, The Revelation of Divine Love. And I found myself, as I was thinking about her, Wow. You know, I want that to be me. You know, I want my life not really for people to know about me, but to know about my God. And that the revelation of his love for me is the thing that stands the test of time rather than any superfluous other information 
about me and my life. How about you? Does that inspire you as well? So Julian actually got really sick, really ill. Uh, All wasn't well for her. And actually, it's in the context of her illness that she says that phrase that my vicar used to say, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. So on the 8th of May in uh, 1372, uh, she was 30 years old and she had this near-death experience. So she was incredibly ill. This was obviously a time when uh, there wasn't the uh, medicine that we have today. And in the height of her illness, this priest comes in preparing for her to, for her to die. This is what they would have done. The, the priest came in basically to... Um, do the sort of last rites over her life, and to, um, he held up this uh, crucifix with with Christ on the cross over her, and she records this in in her book, The Revelation of Divine Love. And in that moment on her deathbed, this is where she has this incredible um, encounter with the living God, and where Jesus, um, as she sees that cross, just becomes real to her. And she has um, a series of, get this, whew, uh, over the course of five days, 16 uh, visions of God, like incredibly. You, ha- you have to read the book, really, um, to, to get the full sense of it. Um, I read it quite a while ago. Um, uh, but, yeah, and it's quite, it's, some of it is, but stick with it. Um, so she has this 25 chapters, I mean, that's quite some journaling, hey, of uh, this revelation of, of God, and she, and she senses God's closeness, and she sees afresh the cost of the love of God for us in Christ as he is crucified for our sin, and it all becomes real to her, and she understands more of God's love, and more of the reality of what that love means for everyone she speaks in a very sort of universal, um, everyone um, can respond to the love of God uh, if they choose to. And that was a very different message for around the time where it was much more, no, actually, it's only if you're educated or if you can pay your way, uh, you know, and only if you can approach God through a certain way will you receive his love. No, Julian was declaring, no, God is love. He is offering forgiveness he is offering closeness to us all and within that moment of her seeing Jesus and seeing God's love and and being ill and and unwell she says that phrase about everything being okay you know everything is going to be all right and what you know grounds did she have for making such a claim was this some sort of you know uh, naive Christian denial uh some let's just close our eyes and pretend it's not happening and you know all's going to be well it's all going to be fine Uh, pretend and wish the reality away well let's just remind ourselves of the story of God's goodness throughout the whole of scripture way back at the beginning Adam and Eve created to know God to relate to him to love him in that place of perfection of enjoyment with him and it all goes wrong tempted by the serpent to disobey God, to turn away from him, they do. And the reality looks like everything's gone horribly wrong. And there is sin and there is death. But within that, there is a promise. God comes to them and says, I've got a plan. All will be well. And essentially, in the beginning of Genesis, we have that promise of the Messiah um, as early on as that. 
And then what about when Moses is there in Exodus leading his people, where it looks like all wasn't going to be well, and they're under slavery in Egypt, and they're oppressed, and they're being beaten, and there seems to be no hope. And then God appears to Moses and says, Moses, don't forget, all will be well. I'm your God. You're my people. Follow me. I'm going to put it all right. It will all be okay. And then what about um, Joshua uh, in, in the promised land when it's difficult and there's uh, trouble and difficulty with provision and God reminds them again, it's okay. You keep messing up, but all will be well. The reality might look that it's not going to be okay, but all will be well. It will be all right. I've got a plan. I've got your back. I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm working things out. And then when the, the uh, exile comes and God's people um, are in exile in Babylon, probably a time when they would have thought like no other time that God had abandoned them, thought that they were very much on, like Julian, their deathbed, facing that reality of death, of oppression again. And through the prophets, yes, there's this challenge. And yes, there's this, oh, come on, God's people, turn back to him. But it's always with that promise, isn't it, that it's going to be okay that God has got a plan, that he has got a purpose. And then comes Jesus. And through his healing, and through his words, it's like this big, loud, it's all going to be okay. All will be well. When he touches the blind, when he speaks to the outcasts of society, when he stops and he listens, when he teaches truth, when he speaks about the kingdom coming. It's this big, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. And then when he is hung on that cross, and he starts saying things like, Father, forgive them, and it is finished. It's a declaration that sin and death and that ultimate threat to each one of us is dealt with and gone, and all will ultimately be well. And then in that moment of time, which Jesus is talking about in John 16, when he is in the tomb, there's a pause, and we wait But then, on the third day, he is risen from the dead. And that is a big, big, loud, all will be well. And everything will be okay. You see, essentially, in that phrase that Julian has within this work, she's writing on her deathbed, she's basically echoing the entirety of the Christian gospel, isn't she? You know, isn't isn't that the hope that we have? That everything will be okay. God is going to put things right, ultimately one day. We know in Revelation that promise and that hope of the new creation, where, as it says in Revelation 7, there'll be no more crying and no more tears and no more pain when Jesus returns and earth is restored and everything is taken to how it was always meant to be. That is what we are waiting for, what we are longing for. We can have, because of how God has acted in history, absolutely no doubt that he's going to let us down. Because of how Jesus has come and has brought the kingdom with him, because of how he died to defeat death, and because of how he rose again to conquer for us and usher in that new day and that resurrection coming, we can have no doubt that God isn't for us, and that actually everything will be okay. 
We've got this uh, broken frame in our house. Um, it's because we, when I was working in this church, I mentioned with the vicar with this phrase, uh, we had the students over, and it was always a bit of a risk doing that, as it is now, it's great, but you know. Um, and um, we, we had this frame up on the side, and one of the students was just chatting away, and just knocked the, uh, it had a, a wedding photo in. Um, it's fine, it's just a frame. Um, and he knocked it off and it smashed on the floor. But anyway, typical of my husband, who, if anyone who knows him, he was like, we're going to keep it. It's going to be like a sign of resurrection. <laughs> so we have <laughs> in our house this broken frame that is be- that has been pieced back together. We've yet to actually put it up on the wall. In When we were living in Oxford before being in Worcester, we had it in our living room. And people used to ask, you know, why have you got a broken frame on your wall? And then everyone was like, wow. Resurrection, let me tell you. Um, so this is a reminder, um, basically this frame that we have in our house, that we know the end of the story, don't we? We know how it's going to end. We know that Jesus has the victory. He has proved that through his death and his resurrection and his ascension to return to the Father, to, to leave us with his spirit to get on with bringing the kingdom. We know how it's going to end. We know that the Lamb wins. We know that the victory is his. But maybe you're sat there thinking, hmm, what about now, Laura? What about today? What about the issues I've got going on in my head at the moment as you're saying all of this stuff about it all being well and all manner of things, blah, 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 will be well. What about this problem? What about this hurt? What about this pain? It doesn't really feel very well at the moment. It feels hard. It feels like a challenge. It feels tough. I feel overwhelmed. I can't cope. Sometimes it can be hard to wait, can't it? It can be hard to wait for that day. And there's a rightness in our sort of groaning and our longing for that day when Jesus will return and put all things right. There's a rightness in us feeling frustrated that it's not here and it's not now because that forces us to crack on with bringing the kingdom where we can and praying those prayers like people did that um, Rich was speaking about in New Wine, of healing and of liberation. But it can be hard, can't it, when that's not our daily experience. So what is, as I bring things to a close, what's the hope for us here and now? How do we bring some of that truth of Julian of Norwich that all will be well when it doesn't feel quite so well for us today? So... In that passage, John 16, um, we have a bit of a key to helping us um, understand uh, how we can cope whilst we wait for that final everything being okay. John uh, 14 through to 16 um, is this great passage, um, Jesus speaking um, about, uh, it begins in um, chapter 14 with him saying, you know, don't be troubled. Um, to the disciples and it's this wonderful sort of chapters I I love them and have a read of them maybe later of him sort of talking about relationship with him and intimacy with him and his love and we have John 15 which is about him being the vine that we're to remain in and he reminds his disciples that there uh, in John 14 that there's a room for them in his father's house the promise of that new creation and a place and basically All of that, I think, is there within John 14 to 16, this reminder of relationship, of intimacy, of knowing Jesus, of of being with him. Because the antidote to the cares of today is the presence of Christ. 
You know, the, the antidote, the solution to our worries, to our hurt, to the cares of today is the presence of Christ. It's the reality of him. The fact that here and now, by his spirit, and he goes on to say that, Jesus, to his disciples, I'm sending a helper, the helper being the Holy Spirit, that he is the one to get us through the times when we feel like it isn't well right here and now, and when we're sort of um, standing between those times of the, the, the now and the, the not yet whilst we wait for the new creation. The antidote to the cares of today the solution, the fixer of those moments where we struggle with the reality in front of us is the presence of Christ, is the love of God for us. And Julian really got this. One of the things that was her sort of central prayer was this. God of goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough for me. It was like her saying, you can take everything away from me. You know, all that I have, all my ambitions, all my um, dreams, my health, you know, my, my car, my, obviously this is us now, not Julian. Um, she didn't have a car. My, my house, my, I don't know, my renovation project in my house. Take it all, God. Just give me yourself. Just give me yourself. That was her prayer. You know, we could say, you know, take, take our money, take our life, take everything. Just give me yourself. What an incredible challenge for us this evening. A challenge that, you know, really makes us think is our desire for God alone. That he is the one, his very self, to get us through those difficult times, those moments where it isn't all well. That we could say ourselves that no matter what comes our way, you know, the things we're most scared of, the things that sort of keep us worried and anxious, if they draw me closer to you, God, then that's all that matters. Through those times, through the trials. And Jesus' promise in this passage of peace is himself. We have that Uh, at the end um, of the chapter in verse 33 he says I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace not in the idea of me not in like a good quotation not in a detached doctrine but in me in the reality of me in the closeness of me in the presence of Christ with us by his spirit to take hold of him to pray rather than panicking to get hold of the Bible in those moments where it isn't well and to remind ourselves that Jesus is near and that God loves us. That's the way to overcome those times when all isn't well. You know, it's his spirit within us, isn't it, that are the resources for keeping going in the trials of life. It's his words that we remember maybe in hymns we've sung or songs we've sung or verses we learned as kids from the Bible. They're the things which keep us going when stuff is hard, when it's a challenge the presence of Christ, the reality of him. And Romans 8 speaks about how nothing can separate us from the love of God. We sang about it this evening. You know, your love will never let us go. Your love is enough. Nothing can separate us from God's love. And Julian, in seeing that the reality of Jesus with her, the resources of his spirit, the Holy Spirit, for every moment when there was a challenge or a trial, his words on her heart, his life within her bones was the answer to those moments of trial. She sees all of this sort of distilled in quite a wacky um, image um, of this hazelnut. 
And she writes in her book about how she sees before her this little hazelnut. Um, and uh, she says this. I'm just going to find the quotation. Uh, it might be. Yeah, there it is. Um, so, And in this, he showed me a little thing, the size of a hazelnut lying in the palm of my hand, and it was round as any ball. I looked upon it with the eye of my understanding and thought, what may this be? And God answered, it is all that is made. I marveled how it might last, for I thought it might suddenly have fallen to nothingness, for little, to nothing, for littleness. And I was answered, it lasts and ever shall, for God loves it. And so have all things their beginning by the love of God. In this little thing, she writes, I saw three properties. The first is that God made it. The second, that God loves it. And the third, that God keeps it. God made it. God loves it. God keeps it. God made you. God loves you. And God will keep you. Keep you close to him. By his very presence, by his very self. He is our peace. Not the circumstances around us. They may change, they may be good some days, they may be hard some days. But his love for us, the fact that he's, he's created you, and he is for you. And nothing, not even death itself, will keep you from his love. Because his love will carry you that day into his arms. And he will truly keep you forever. And you will be his. And he will be yours. And that is what Julian knew. And that is why she said that prayer, God of goodness, give me yourself for you're enough for me. At the end of the day, God, you're all that matters. Take it all. Just give me yourself. In 2006, we were in a funeral of a family friend. Uh, who had lost his battle with cancer, leaving behind his wife, a four-year-old son, and a four-week-old daughter. And we sang the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, one that I imagine Julian of Norwich with her phrase, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, would have loved. Um, It is well with my soul. Maybe some of you know um, that hymn. And we had these massive like lumps in our throat as we were trying to sing this song but we sang really really loudly it was Wales so you know we are good at singing um but um we just belted it out this whole room you know whilst we were like the, the sadness that he you know this this guy Rob was was gone from us but he was it was well with his soul he was made by God he was loved by God and God was keeping him in eternity and we sang this song, and this song, as well with my soul, was actually written by a guy called Horatio Spafford. That's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Horatio Spafford. Um, and he was this um, successful businessman. And in 1870, his only son died from scarlet fever. And three years later, his four daughters were drowned at sea. And he passed the place uh, at one time where his daughters had lost their lives, and he was inspired to write that song. It is well with my soul. And here's some of the um, verses of that song, just as I finish. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. 
that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. And then the last verse is this, O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Talking about that final day where Christ returns, even so, it is well with my soul. Now, tonight, you might not be in a place where this feels particularly hard. You might have just come back from honeymoon. <laughs> you might be enjoying the summer sun. You might be on a high from having served at New Wine, this, as we mentioned, this big Christian festival where it's all glorious. What about maybe those times that may come your way where it's a struggle? Will you choose, like Julian of Norwich, to hold on to that? Truth which has been proved to us again and again through scripture in the goodness and the provision of God. And ultimately in the provision of God to us in Christ. That it is well. It is well. All will be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Hold on to that when the storms come. Just like this guy Horatio Spafford did. When the storms literally rolled over his whole life. You know, consumed in those precious daughters of him of his. He held on to the truth that actually God made him. God was going to keep him. And God was for him. Why don't we stand? I'm just going to pray for us. God, you're good. You're so, so good. And we declare tonight that we need you. Oh Lord, we need you. It is tough out there. And we need you. We need your resources to keep going through the challenges and the trials. And we need that echo down the ages that it's okay, that it's all right. Help us by your spirit, living God, to take a hold of that tonight. And I just want to pray, Lord, for anyone here who is in the thick of it right now. Would you overwhelm them by the reality of your love that stopped at nothing for them? Thank you, Jesus.